Hey, y'all, this is Kevin from Candlebox. You are listening to the funny man, Anthony Rogers. You are now listening to the best show in the universe, The Anthony Rogers Show. You probably wish that this was your show, but it's not. It's The Anthony Rogers Show. Tell all of your friends to listen to this show. Welcome back to the greatest show in the entire universe. Um, today we have a complete legend. Uh, I don't know how, why he said yes to this show. Uh, he's going backwards, I think. Uh, uh, Kevin uh, Martin from Candlebox, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll talk to anybody, brother. <laughs> I, it it truly shows by you doing this show. <laughs> I, I think. Well, no, I appreciate, it, man. Like you're like uh, I want to touch on some new stuff real fast. I, I want to go and I got some questions too. But like you just said, uh. A new album released, your seventh album, like was released on uh, called Wolves. Yeah, on September 17th, just came out uh, about a week ago, a week and a half ago, something like that. Cool. Yeah, I just want to get the pandering out of the way real fast and then get into some good shit. <laughs> everyone, everyone should listen to this album right now. Uh, check it out. I checked out a couple of the tracks. Uh, um, it's, it's pretty good. It, it's, uh, the, the single you released is kind of funny to me because it says uh, it's all downhill from here. Like that, that was kind of yeah. funny to me, like the concept. Like, well, like, like uh, is that an obvious concept or like what is that? What is that? Uh, what does that mean well, to you? I, you know? I mean, you know, listen, it, it is the obvious. I think, you know, when you hit a certain age as a musician, uh, you know, it's you're no longer trying to roll that rock up the hill. You know, it's it's made it to the top. And and, uh, you know, I think for me, um, fingers crossed, I'm I'm less than halfway through my life, but I have a feeling I might be, you know, a little bit further along than that. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's just. I th- my doctor said it to me on my 40th physical, my 40th birthday. I got my physical. He said to me, it was all downhill from here. You know, your body starts to die. And I was like, this is fucking bullshit. You know, <laughs> um, who says that kind of thing? And certainly not your doctor, you know? Um, so uh, it just has kind of stuck with me for a while. And I started writing this song with Christopher Thorne from blind melon. And we were talking about our careers, you know, and the things that we'd experienced and, and where life had taken us, you know, Shannon uh, sadly passed um, halfway to, through their the second uh, album cycle, you know, and, and he was a, an incredibly young, talented human being. And Christopher, I just kind of, he and I got a, you know, felt like maybe they hadn't reached what, what they were supposed to as a band. You know, they had so much more to give, certainly with an artist like Shannon. And, and I just started think, thinking about my career and kind of where I've been and what I've seen. And, you know, I mean, I've toured with Rush, I've toured with Metallica, I've toured with Living Color, I've toured with Flaming Lips, I've toured with Aerosmith. Henry Rollins. I mean, what more is there for, you know, somebody like me to do, you know, with my career, really? I mean, it's if that's not the top of the of the fucking mountain, I don't know what is. So, um, it, you know, it's it's been a been a long fucking career for me. You know, I'm going on 30 years starting this October. So that's pretty amazing, you know, and and, uh, and if it if it is all downhill from here, then I'm going to enjoy the fucking ride, you know. 
you know, I felt that in the video in this song, like that, uh, that we were like lucky to have a song from like Candlebox still, you know, it's like, 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 like to even be able to have like new music. Cause I mean, you, I mean, uh, when you're talking about your age, like, I think you've exceeded the expectation, uh, the, the average age of these Seattle bands. I mean, a lot of them were tragic and terrible fucking things. Like you're kind of an outlier in that situation to where I almost forget you were part of that because you, you, you've lasted, you've outlasted that, you know, like, oh, uh, it was like far be, I mean, your, your first album is like, uh, is so much different than the other stuff there. I, but you have a little bit of influence there. But I, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm 35. So I came into it, like, I guess, like later to where I wasn't in the moment. So I always forget you're part of that Seattle thing, man. It's like crazy. Yeah, a lot of people do, you know, because we were, we came along two years after everybody, you know, and, um, but that has everything to do with our age. You know, I was, when I moved to Seattle, I was 14 years old and Chris Cornell was 20. So, uh, and Chris and all those guys were all the same age, 19, 20, 21. So, um, there's a big age difference there. And, and I think that for us, you know, we couldn't even play a fucking bar until we were 21 years old in Seattle. That's how kind of strict the, the liquor laws and, and, and all that sort of thing was there. So we were playing friends parties. We were playing house parties, whatever the fuck it was we could do to, to get our music out. And um, so of course, listen, with the success of, of Soundgarden and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains, it, it, it offered great opportunity for, for so many bands from the, from from that uh, time and our contemporaries the bands that we were playing with the Sweetwaters and um and the green apple quick steps you know we all had major record label deals um we all had great touring opportunities but candlebox is the only one that kind of came out of that um unscathed with uh, you know a, a long career and that's not to say that green apple quick step and sweetwater and some of the bands that were playing at the same time of us aren't great bands or, or didn't deserve it just for some reason, the, the spotlight shone on us at that time. And, um, and we're very lucky, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, we did write a, you know, a couple of songs that, that have been able to sustain our career now for 30 years, far behind and you and cover me on that debut album. But we, you know, we made drastic changes on our second record, drastic changes on our third record. We've always kind of pushed ourselves to do something better than the last time. And I think with, with uh, wolves, um, we may have just kind of really accomplished, you know, all, we've ticked all the boxes, if you will, with this record. So um, hopefully, you know, maybe lightning strikes twice. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, um, I'm just happy I'm still able to make music and that people want to fucking listen to it, you know? Yeah, the album is good. I listened to it right before here. Like, I like a lot of the guitar souls and shit, man. I feel like uh, I've listened to it more to, like, digest it. But I was just doing, like, I want to know what the fuck I was talking about before I talked to you. Like, so I, I at least listened to him and gave it a good listen. Um, but no, it's... um. Is, what, is, what is that? This is kind of a, maybe a stupid question. But I always kind of wonder what, what does Candlebox mean to you? Like, what is that? What is that? Like, what was the band name kind of thing? I've never read anything on anything on that. Well, the, the name comes from a Midnight Oil lyric. I'm, I'm a huge Midnight Oil fan. Um, I've, I've kind of had an affinity for Australia since I was a young kid. Um, my first band was called Wagga Wagga, which is a tiny little town in Northern Australia. Um, I think maybe in a past life or something, I was fucking Australian, but um it's just always been kind of a country to me that I'm fascinated with. I love the music that's come from there. Um, you know, everything from Per Ubu to Hoodoo Gurus, uh, Midnight Oil, uh, of course, NXS, one of my favorite bands growing up. So um, when I was looking for a band name, I decided to go through some of Peter Garrett's lyrics. And I'm a huge, a huge uh, fan of his. I think he's an unbelievable human being, incredibly generous with his time and energy and, and the things that he believes in, the Aboriginal people. And, uh, and his stance on uh, how Australia should be treating them. And, uh, and I thought maybe I'd find something in there. And I did. I found this line where he's talking about taking the aboriginals 
very much like we did with the Native Americans and, and walking them to reservations and putting them on land that um, we felt that was enough for them rather than what belonged to them. And he was talking about boxing these beautiful, beautiful people in like candles that you can't do that because their, their fire burns so bright. And I thought that was a really interesting imagery. And um, so I said to the guys, I was like, hey, what about the name Candlebox, you know? And, and um, they're like, well, let's use it for a while and see what happens. And it ended up sticking with us now for 30 years. So That's interesting. Yeah, I just never read anything on that. Like most, uh, I feel like I didn't see any interviews on that. That was interesting. Um, I'm from uh, I'm from St. Louis, and you kill it here, man. Like everybody loves your band. It seems like and you play huge shows here. Like, uh, like, like you're big here in this market. Like you, uh, like I've seen some of your shows. And like, uh, and like uh, probably in the, I don't know late '90s, early 2000s, just fucking killed, man. Like it was so fucking yeah. good. Like you got <laughs> yeah. St. Louis is a good market for us. The Midwest in general. Um, it, it's just I think there's. You know, they're real, they're real rock lovers. Um, they're people that don't get swayed by opinion. Um, I think Midwesterners um, kind of hold themselves to a higher standard when it comes to people telling them what to do. So they're not afraid to light candle box, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, uh, it, it is one of those, those markets that we do well. Um, I love St. Louis. I grew up in uh, Kansas City, Missouri for a little bit when I was a young kid. Um, and, uh, and I've been, uh, I've got a lot of friends that live in Wichita, Kansas, Hutchinson, Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas, Kansas city, Kansas, uh, St. Joe, Missouri. So, uh, I guess maybe the, my Midwest roots, um, kind of, uh, I guess people pick up on it. I don't know, but yeah, we do well in St. Louis, man. It's a, it's a, it's a great place for us. We just played the pageant. Okay. Yeah. No, I like the pageant, man. No, it makes sense. You're Midwestern. You say fuck like every other word. So I'm just like, yeah, you probably, <laughs> you probably, you, yeah, it makes sense. You're from the Midwest. Actually. I wouldn't have guessed that. They're like. But um, this may be some kind of typical question. I mean, you are you are can uh, the singer Candlebox. But uh, how how did you get this? Um, how did you guys start? Like, I guess like uh, how did how did like you guys get together and like how did this kind of blow up? I guess back to where it is now. I guess you know. Well, Scott and I, the drummer and I, um, we had a band previous to Candlebox called uh, Uncle Duke with another guitar player named Rick Vaughn and a bass player named Perry Alfernis. Um, it was a little more of a um, Americana roots rock kind of band. Um, uh, Rick, our guitar player was really, really into Robert Johnson. He loved the blues, loved Clapton. Um, and so we, we kind of, we, we, we kind of, I guess we teetered on that black crows kind of, um, rock and roll, if you will, but we were a little more, um, a little bit darker in the tone that we, with what we were playing. And then Rick left like after six months, he was like, I'm going back to work. I don't want to do this. I, yeah. He was working at reciprocal recording. So we're, we needed a guitar player. Um, we had some shows coming up. Uh, so um, Kelly Gray, who uh, was our producer for the first two albums was friends with Scott. They had been in a band together um, years prior. So Scott called Kelly and said, we need a guitar player. Do you know anybody? And Kelly said, yeah, I know this kid, Pete. I paint houses with, he's a brilliant guitar player. So Pete came down to rehearsal and brought a couple songs with him. Uh, things were going well. We played a show. Uh, a couple weeks later, Pete fired Perry, our bass player, said it wasn't working out because Perry was more like a Les Claypool type of player. And we needed somebody. We wanted somebody who was a little more like Bill Wyman. Um, so I called a friend of mine from high school, asked if she knew anybody who played bass. Uh, she said, yeah, this kid named Barty that, that, um, she, that we went to high school to, together with uh, played bass. I didn't know Barty. Uh, he was actually on a foreign exchange program in Ireland for school. But I didn't know his sister. So I called his sister and she said, yeah, I'll give you his number. So I, I called Barty and I said, listen, man, we haven't met, but I know your sister really well. We went to high school together, apparently. Um, would you like to come down and jam? 
and he came down to our studio and he brought you and far behind with it uh bass lines so we kind of like a boy band put together by uh kelly gray the simon cowell of, of the seattle rock scene and um and it's interesting because we didn't know one another scott and i were really the only two um uh that had any type of uh relationship whatsoever um so it's kind of a really happy accident for us and and um we wrote some great songs and got some attention made a record that sold four million fucking copies and the rest is history you know yeah no congrats your success man it's really cool that uh people get to that people get to do that man um yeah no uh like so you're one of the most successful bands on uh, madonna's record label too like maverick right like you're probably the most successful band i'd say right no alanis morissette man she sold something like 40 million records 40 million holy shit that's yeah alanis alanis blew up she was the second signing the third signing was the deftones Oh, okay. uh, who did really well as well. So yeah, we we just happened to be the first band signed to the label. Okay, yeah, no, someone was telling me that you're on Madonna's label. That's interesting. Yeah, so um, yeah. what what is a day like for you now? Like, what is I mean, this is like I, I want to cover like some epic shit you did in the past. Like, so what do you where like I, I what what is a day for like a rock star now? Like for yourself, man. Like, well, I'm on tour. I'm on the tour bus. We have a day off. We're in West Virginia. Um, so I'm watching the Sopranos marathon <laughs> on HBO, gearing up for the movie release. I mean, it's really, you know, it's kind of basic. It's life now is a lot different than it was in the nineties when you were touring. I mean, it's because certainly because of COVID now we're not hanging out at bars and stuff. Like normally right now we'd be at some Irish pub getting drunk, you know, laughing and talking about bullshit, but um, it's really just about kind of staying as safe as we can and in, in, in our environment and making sure that we don't have to shut the tour down because somebody catches COVID um, and, and, you know, also we're a lot older. Fuck, man, I'm 52 years old, so it's kind of like... Yo, what's up, everyone? Let me tell you about this subscription box from Hamper Crow. Every month you get a new box shipped to your house. $100 value for $39.99. You get your cleaning essentials, your smoking essentials, and a new piece. You know, if, if I could sleep in till 11 o'clock, I will. And if I got to go to bed at 11 p.m., I will, you know, I'll take a gummy and knock myself out for the night. But, um, yeah, it's not a lot of the, you know, the partying and the drinking and the cocaine and shit anymore. It's really, um, uh, you know, you got a sore back and you got the fucking vibrator on your back, kind of get rid of that knot or some bullshit, you know, like that. It's a, it's a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. You never like, uh, you never hear about like rock stars being in their fifties, like in interviews. I don't think you never talk like everyone ever like, like they never like address that. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of successful bands that are, I mean, I mean, then it's just like, there's ages in a thing in entertainment anymore. I think it used to be, I think, I think it is on like teen pop bullshit, but I don't think it is in like the rest. You know, I mean, it's like weird to see like, like, I mean, like as a kid, you never would have thought that rock stars are 50. You see, or, you know what I mean? Like, would you have thought that as a kid probably? No, I mean, dude, if you'd have told me when I was 21 that I'd be doing this at the age of 52, I'd tell you, you're fucking crazy. I mean, there's no <laughs> way. I, I wanted it. You know, you dream about it. Um, as a kid, you know, having that band like an Aerosmith or a Kiss forever, um, it's a dream. But, you know, in reality, it's not supposed to happen that way. You know, it, it, it really shouldn't. Um, but for some reason, it did with us. And, you know, we're still here. Listen, I'm the, you know, I'm the last man standing with Candlebox, the last original member. Um, but the nice thing about Candlebox is, you know, we weren't ever a sum of our parts. We were always the whole. I think people love Candlebox for the songs, you know, and didn't really give a shit whether, you know, I was Eddie Vedder or, you know, uh, Jerry Cantrell played in our band or something like that. It's it, it never really mattered. It was just about the songs. And I think that's kind of why we still 
we're still here. Um, just people just love our music, you know, and, and we're very fortunate. And, and I still like, we have two uh, reunion shows coming up in Seattle in November uh, with the original band Pete Barney and Scott and myself for the celebration of Lucy's 26th anniversary. We're supposed to do it last year on the 25th, but couldn't. Um, and that shit's fun, man. We, we get along great. We still talk. Everybody's still friends. It's just the other guys got, you know, they got real in 2008 and, and said, yeah, I'll, I'll do this for a minute, but you know, I've got a job. I've got a life outside of Candlebox. And, you know, I didn't have a backup plan. Um, and, and, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of happy. I didn't have a backup plan. You know, I, I, I like this life. I love doing what I'm doing and, um, and I want to do it. You know, I don't have to do it. I want to do it. I enjoy it. And, uh, and, and that's why I guess maybe I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. Like you had to blow up in a time where it was like hard to blow up. I think like, uh, I think the nineties would have been like more worse than today. Like I could like sit on my couch and just like spam like emails and stuff. Like I like, listen to my podcast, blah, you know, like you had to like go around, like you had to like go like airhead style. And <laughs> you know I mean? like, like your generation was like crazy. You had to, like, like how, how the fuck do you even get a record deal in the nineties? Like, like we just like, like that, that's like, that, that doesn't even make sense to me at this point. Like I'm like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think that when we signed our record deal in, in the fall of 92, um, it was on the tail end of Seattle's kind of explosion of bands. Um, everybody had been there. Everybody had picked up a band. Everybody had signed somebody that they thought was going to be the next big thing. Uh, and and it was kind of time to, um, I guess, wash your hands of the city uh, if you were a major label and move on and find the next locale, which, you know, some say was Chicago. Um, others say it was New York. Um, uh, but... I think that the last real amazing music scene was, you know, the 1990s signings of Seattle. Um, you'll never, you'll never see that again. Um, and for us, you know, being in the right place at the right time, you know, I mean, we were invited to do a showcase um, in September of 92 uh, by BMI, which is a, a, a music royalties um collection company basically just make sure that you get paid for what you do and they put us on at seven o'clock doors are at 6 30 and we were the last band added to that showcase um a lot of our contemporaries had the headlining slot you know the 11 p.m others had the 10 p.m you know they put us on at fucking seven o'clock and we destroyed it man we killed that fucking show <laughs> and we got invited to la by three different labels so right i guess it's you know it's it's our musical prowess that you know, got us that opportunity. And, you know, I think that when we finally got to LA and, and played our show, there were all of a sudden, there was more interest from other labels because I, you know, like I said, everybody kind of was like, listen, Seattle's over with, let's step away from it, but they hadn't seen us yet. So um, I guess maybe that's, you know, really how that record deal came about for Candleboxes because we worked our asses off, man. You know, we, we, in the year that we were playing music in the city, you know, legally, because our bass player had finally turned 21. Um, we'd seen some real fucking, you know, some real shows and, and, and we'd done some things that um, I don't think people expected us to do musically. And, and that came through on our first record, you know, our first two, our first demo tape, you and far behind um, are from the demo that was recorded Easter Sunday of 1992. Those aren't from the album that was recorded in 93. So we definitely had something going and we, and we definitely had um, the, the talent to produce some great music. And, and, you know, we're just lucky that somebody recognized that. 
you guys coming on uh, later into that makes more sense like, about your sound too because like uh you're not really in that like grunge sound i don't think i think you and allison change like for different reasons are not in that i think like they're more like metal and you're more just like i mean it's rock i guess you know it's not like you weren't like typecast i don't think is as bad you know for coming out late probably you know yeah we're just a blues-based rock band you know um I, i've often joked that we're the journey of of the seattle music scene you know um <laughs> you i know we've been called though, tr- <laughs> well we've been called the trickster of of grunge that was dave mustaine that was awesome uh but yeah we've been called everything and every name in the fucking book but um we're just a rock band man that, that loves playing rock and roll music no it makes sense like uh that's crazy, man. Like, so is it was what was that moment that you're like, holy fuck, I made it kind of thing? Was it like, uh, like for your band? Or, or, like, you probably had a couple of those. Or like, what, what, is, what is one of them? That, like, you're just like, wow, I'm a fucking rock star. Like, you know, oh, Jesus. Um, touring with Metallica, touring with Rush, touring with Living Color, having people, you know, knock on your tour bus door at hotels asking who you are, taking pictures of you. Um, yeah, I mean, playing Woodstock 94, man, that was. That was That's an crazy. enormous experience. Um, you know, you, you did 300,000 fucking people and, and they knew our songs. That was pretty impressive, you know? Um, but I think also when we toured with Henry Rollins, you know, it, this is a funny story because a lot of people like Candlebox, the fucking Rollins band we talk about, but um, we were going to Europe. <clears throat> our record had been released there. It had already hit and uh, it already hit like a million some plus sold in the States and uh, and we were about to venture over the, the pond and, and kind of start planting the seed of Candlebox over there. And we got the Henry Rollins tour, which I, I love the Rollins band. My first concert um, that I ever saw uh, was in San Antonio. It was Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, and the Butthole Surfers. And I was 12 years old. And wow. Henry Rollins has always been kind of my favorite um, singer, performer, punk rock. I love punk rock music. It's been That's what I grew up on. Um, and, uh, and experiencing that concert at such a young age, it was really strange touring with him in Europe. Um, I couldn't look at him. I was su- super starstruck. I didn't talk to him the entire tour. He thought I was like some prick Seattle fucking rock star dude. And he came to me in the dressing room, um, in Hamburg at the last show. And he's like, what's your problem? And I was like, I, I gotta tell you, man, I, I was 12 years old when I first saw you and, and I did a stage dive during your set and I didn't get picked up and you jumped down and grabbed me and pulled me up on stage and I finished damaged with you and I was 12 you know I was like I don't even know how to fucking talk to you I don't know how to look at you like you changed my life at a really formative time you know and I said I'm just freaking out that I'm fucking touring with you you know I I, I love Rollins band I love everything you've ever done and, and um, I'm just a fan that can't believe I'm fucking touring with you and he just he still tells that story he also tells a story where I was bitching on stage that people didn't like us. It was like this, you know, pissy little fucking Seattle boys all pissed off that people didn't like him opening for Rollins band. So he tells, he, he tells those stories in his spoken word thing. But I guess if Henry Rollins is still talking about you 30 years later, you made it. <laughs> oh, for sure, man. That's, that's cool stories. And like, it's like hearing stuff like that. So you have like a one of a kind of experience being a rocker and like coming out and like, I think Seattle was the renaissance of rock. I mean, as of late, at least, you know, there's not real, I mean, there's some shit now, but it's not as good, you know, as I feel, you know. I don't think you ever, you'll, you'll never see it again. Yeah, I think you had the 60s. It was weird because, like, the 60s and the 90s were almost the same for, like, comedy, too, I, I felt like. Uh, it must have just been, like, oh, art, yeah. art all the way around. Like, I mean, I'd say both those, like, like genres just killed it. I hope, we ha- I hope we have something similar to that 
So David, I think all the funny people get canceled, you know, <laughs> and, and all the yeah. all the talented people get canceled for like bullshit reasons. Now it's like if you're if you're a strong contender, I mean, you know, it's like there's like they they find a way to like cancel you. It seems like. Yeah, no, they do one hundred percent. It's unfortunate. It's crazy. Well, it's good for you. I think I think it's good for you though, because like if you're established for ninety eight in music, I think like you're pretty much made. If you, I mean, it's, you probably have a you literally probably could tour until you're if you, until you're ninety if it's fun. Like, I mean, like, uh, I, I, at your, I mean, in your situation, I think you really could, dude. Like, I, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it's stop, I, I think you literally could stop, but it's not fun anymore, though. You like, like I think yeah. you, have a, you have a unique luxury that I don't think a lot of, I mean, like, you, you guys killed it, I think. So, you, I, yeah. you have a good business plan we still. Do. You're probably still playing, like, what are you playing right now? Like, arenas still? Like, what? No, God, no, man. We do theaters, we do, you know, still, I mean, seats, 1500 seats, but it's pretty good living. That's bad. Yeah, no, it's badass, man. Like that's like that's fucking that's the dream still. And still be able to do that, man. You worked. I mean, you killed it. I, I mean, you accomplished all your. That's the American dream, you know. That's what every. Yeah. Uh, how many people I grew up with wanted to do that? Myself included. Just being music. It's, I think it's uh it's fucking awesome that you uh you you one of those bands, man. It's like crazy that you that you'd even be on a podcast like this, you know. <laughs> oh, thanks, dude. Let's listen. My place. Like I said, if somebody wants to talk to me about my life. And my band, I'm happy to do it. You know, the more the merrier, the, the more that I can continue to spread the word about what we've done or what we've accomplished. You know, um, I, I'm happy to do it. I love talk. I love talking with people. No, it makes sense, man. Like, uh, that's crazy. So, where, where's it going from here, man? Like, so you're touring on the new album, I guess. Like, uh, is that kind of the next? What are you doing for now, I guess? Yeah, we we stay out. We're out till October 24th. Uh, then we got the two shows in Seattle. Uh, and like, I think that's November 5th and 6th. And then we've got like five shows in December. Um, and then it's, um, uh, off till like mid February. So yeah, it's, it's really just pushing this record, um, to the extreme as long as we can. No, it's cool, man. Like, are you, are you coming to St. Louis anytime soon? Uh, St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we just did the pageant. We won't be back in St. Louis until I would say, um, if anything, in the fall of next year, or late summer. Cool. Yeah. Some people, that's cool, man. Like, uh, well, th- dude, thanks for coming on and stuff. You, if you, any links you want to throw out to people or anything, you want people to know that we didn't touch or anything like that? Like, uh, anything people should Google, I guess, that you're listening or anything? No, candleboxrocks.com, man. C E N D L E B O X R O C K S.com. I mean, that's, that's got all the information. It's got all the tour dates. It's got all our socials. It's got all the bullshit that people need to find us. Thanks to Wave Washer, you will always taste your flour and turps the way they're meant to taste, instead of tar buildup and mold. Adding iso alcohol into your bong is optional, but highly recommended. Toothpicks, Q-tips, and pipe cleaners are also handy tools to have around when needed. For smaller pieces, put some iso alcohol into a smaller container or baggie, and put your pieces into that, and then place that into the bowl of warm water along with Wave Washer. Wave Washer makes cleanup so easy, and all your 420 pieces will be clean again like brand new. Because it's so easy and fast, you can use it daily. Keep your glass clean consistently, easily, for you and your friends and family with Wave Washer. Elevate your ritual.